All right, folks, welcome to another episode of The Coiling Solution, where we bring you awareness and actionable insights. And on this episode, I have with me Emeka Ogu, the CEO of PeopleJoy. Emeka, welcome to The Coiling Solution. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can hold tight for a moment. I just want to give people a little glimpse of your background so they know who they're talking to today. Emeka Ogu brings over 13 years of experience in product management, entrepreneurship, and finance with a focus on financial technology. He is currently developing solutions to the student debt and savings crisis as founder and CEO of PeopleJoy. In addition to serving on the board of trustees for the Quantitative Alpha Architect EFT funds and a partner at Parameter Ventures. Again, Emeka, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here today. Absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting when you said student debt and savings crises in the first paragraph, man, of your bio. I mean, that just... Um, that just sings and rings gravity, man, um, when you have that as the part of your first um, piece of your bio. And then we're going to dive into that. But on a lighter note, let's let's start on a lighter note. One of the things I always love to do with new with guests to the to the program is really just introduce who they are um, in, in terms of if you thought about some people who think they know a Mecca best. What's one thing that they don't know about you that you can share with the audience? Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm never good at these because it's, it's, um, geez, one thing they don't know about me. Um, you know, I, I always think about my, my wife who, you know, we've been, we've been, uh, we're celebrating our eight year anniversary in April and, and we've been together for 15 years and she knows me best. And I feel like she knows me like an open book. Sure. Um, I, I think maybe the folks that, uh, on the business side, they know that I have a very humorous side to me. Yeah. I could be a bit of a jokester people who know me well know that, but yeah. you know, Folks, you know, kind of business circles don't always get to see that side of me. So I guess the reverse of your question, most people who know me know exactly who I am, sometimes better than I know myself. And they'll be the ones who tell me, Mecca, this is how you respond in this situation. Just that's who you are. Don't go against the grain. And so I usually like those folks to anchor me because sometimes, you know, we, we get to points in our lives where we violate our core of who we are yes, and that yes. ends up putting us in a lot of trouble. So I like the folks around me to, to keep me grounded. They always remind me of, you know, you, you always have the you know, folks back home always no matter how big yep, you get, they exactly. know how to. They pull you right down, right? Some of those, <laughs> some of those neighborhood Remind, friends. Yeah, so those folks, they know me inside and out. They know the good, the bad, and the other. So how did, let me t- let me ask you this, man, because one of the things, I, I didn't go through your full um, bio, man, but you're, you you are a Harvard uh, grad, so you're Rutgers undergrad, master uh, MBA from Harvard Business School. You could have chose to do a number of different things. And like I was beginning to say, man, the first part of your bio jumps into this this mega problem that you call the student debt yeah. uh, and savings crises, right? What made you get into this line of work, man? What's your why behind this? Yeah, so I, I've always been a, a saver and an investor since a, since a very early age. So, uh, you know, I uh, my parents my parents are both from Nigeria. They migrated here in the seventies. And I grew up in New Jersey, born and raised in New Jersey. And, you know, like most immigrant kids, you, you, you learn very early the difference between wants and needs. Mm. Um, you see your parents working 16 hour days, just, 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 you know, grinding away. And, you know, they'll give you what you need. But if you want something, right. you've got to go out and get it yourself. You've got to go figure it out. So I figured out pretty early that if I wanted the Jordans, the Sega Genesis game, but all that stuff, I had to get those myself. And so I got a job after eighth grade. Right. Um, I, I got a, a job working at an office and um, 
I uh, I bought a savings bond with my first paycheck. Mm. And this is not what I wanted to do. Again, I wanted the Jordans and the and the games, but my mom's an accountant and she, you know, my first check, we opened up a, a savings account at a bank, it was Banco Popular. And uh we uh we bought the savings bond. She explained to me in series E bonds, series I bonds, these are government treasury bonds. I think at the time they were earning five or six percent, which was pretty high at the time. And it taught me the value of delaying gratification mm-hmm. and and compounding interest and an amortization table. So all, you know, financial terms that most 14 year olds don't think about, but I, I experienced that early on. And that, that was really what drove me since then really focusing on that. That's really what, what was my why behind always sort of being interested in financial services and delaying gratification. I ended up using those savings bonds bonds to, to pay for my prom four years later to wow. pay for it. Wow. Um, but it taught me, you know, put money away, invest it. And then, put a dollar away today in a few years it may be three dollars maybe four dollars right and so i became a really a huge saver um and uh my first job out of school was at merrill lynch and you know i, I was in fund of funds due diligence in our investment management and guidance group where we we always saw 315 billion dollars of assets and that's where i really built up my technical chops got my series 7 series 65 all the licenses around it really helping structuring different investment products for for our clients and as you mentioned, I went to went to uh, Harvard Business School for my MBA, uh, where alongside my wife's medical school debt, we accumulated four hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Mm. And we we dealt with the crisis of paying down student debt and savings. Yes. And and the trade off of doing both. And while we were successfully able to navigate it, it was not without a lot of mistakes along the way. Yeah. And. It doesn't have to be this hard. It doesn't have to be this hard for the 40 million borrowers. You shouldn't have to have a Series 7 or Series 65 license to navigate student debt. And our company, People Joy, is making it so it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to, to unpack on what you said. So let me go back. Um, let me start on the lighter side. When you said Sega Genesis, I'm like, ah, this, this man is speaking my childhood language. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. All right. So that's episode, yeah. another episode we got to come back on. But there's another episode we need to come back on. When you said your first paycheck around the age of 14, you went and got a bond. I remember my first paycheck around age 14. I was trying to get my first set of turntables, right? Because I wanted to be a DJ, okay? And my that back then, it was technique turntables. Those turntables were $350 a piece, wow. man, okay? And that they didn't even come with the needle, okay? And you needed wow. two, okay? I was trying to work the whole summer to get them turntables. <laughs> so, and then you said you used it four years later to go on the prom. So I know, one, there's a number of parents going to watch this podcast go, okay, how do I get my child into that thinking? Okay. <laughs> now, kidding aside, what got you to think about, about things that way? Like, seriously, let's just take three minutes on that. What, what helped you understand the importance, the delayed gratification, just like you said, you said it, delayed gratification, right? The appreciation of that. And even that appreciation, interest, maybe rule of 72 in simple terms, yeah. right? What made you think about that? Yeah, I, I got to give it to my parents. Um, just, just the, the the work ethic they had, and uh, always telling you know teaching us to. My mom again was an accountant, so so she was very much the the financial wizard of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of making a dollar out of fifteen cents. Uh, you know, we we grew up in very humble beginnings, but I, I never felt poor, mm-hmm. right? Um, and seeing seeing my parents 
work hard, but also in some cases not seeing them invest yeah. and having to work hard because of that. Right. There were there were certain things that I that I admired and 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 I and I took from, and there were other things that I said I don't want to have to deal with that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and you know I I've always sort of had this mindset that I wanted to to build a life where. I had passive income and I had income streams that could essentially cover my daily expenses so that I wouldn't have to, so that I could, I could, you know, see my family, that I can go on vacations with my family and some of the things that we didn't get to do growing up when I was growing up. Right. And so those are the things that, you know, I always, always had a chip on my shoulder, um, you know, gr- growing up, you know, it, it was, it was always, um, it was always something within me that I think drove me to want to, you know, achieve those things. And, and yeah. when you're, when you're in a situation, an environment where you don't have those things, you know, you either choose two different paths, right? You either just give up and say, I don't deserve these things. Or right. you say, I'm going to do everything in my power to, to accomplish these things. So, right. you know, for me, it was, you know, it was working on wall street, right? It was something that, not a lot of people that you know, you know, my skin color, whatever you whatever you call it, from where I live, did, and I wanted to do that, and and so those are little things that I always just kind of um, did to drive myself. And and you asked about the the, the why, what was my why, and it's interesting because uh, PeopleJoy is actually the third startup I've been involved with, the second of my own, and. I told a, a company prior to, to starting PeopleJoy, and I I knew that when I started PeopleJoy, I wanted to do something that I was super passionate about, mm-hmm. and and that I would stay the course with. Because as you know, um, being an entrepreneur, it's it's not glamorous, right? right? You know, right. Despite what Hollywood tells you, and you know, oftentimes there's a, there's there's just as many downs as ups. And if you're not passionate about what you do, um, you're going to burn out. Yes. Sir. Right. And, and I can, you know, we, we can both talk about folks who just sort of chase something because it was a flavor of the month. It was the, mm-hmm. you know, the hot cryptocurrency. No, again, no knock to anybody who's right. doing a cryptocurrency startup, but I know a lot of folks who were really invested in those sorts of businesses and others who just thought it was a get rich quick scheme and they flame out when, when the, the market drops. And, and so I asked people, what's the one thing that I'm good at? And I asked those close to me, what's the one thing that I'm good at? And everyone sort of said the same thing, like, you know, you set a goal and you stick to it. And, and so I thought, okay, what, what are businesses you could build around goal setting that are scalable? Um, and I'm passionate about, and obviously it it had, I knew it had to be in financial services. And then the student debt piece is the thing that not only I experienced, but I know that 44 million people do. I know that it, 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 it mostly impacts uh, women own two thirds of the outstanding student debt, uh, uh, minorities come out of school mm-hmm. with more student debt than than their white counterparts, and if you look at women and minorities, they're paid less on the dollar. So you're coming out with more debt, you're getting paid less, so it's taking you longer to pay off the debt, and you're investing less. Right. So I knew that this was a crisis that just the financial savings crisis impacts on so many levels, not just Americans, but it's a there's a, a, a the 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 racial wealth gap that it impacts. There's a gender wealth gap that it impacts. There's just so many things that when you really dive into this space, you realize like how big of a problem this is. And that I love solving big problems. Right. You know, that that's really the drive behind it. It's just that there's 
there's so many things that this impacts and there's so many things that you'll be able to do when you're able, when you're debt free mm-hmm. and you're able to start investing. Yeah, no, that's good, man. That's so good. I, I hope that's really helpful for um, a lot of our parents who are, who are listening and, and thinking about how to help their, uh, their children. And to the, and to that point, um, given what you do now, your series uh, six and everything that you do, if parents were saying, man, Amika, what's one book you might recommend to my 13, 14 year old if you had one? And you want, if you want to think yeah. about this and answer later, that's cool as well. Anything? No, I can mind? answer now. I mean, it's uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's mean, one of my right, favorites. Right. I got it right over that's here good. somewhere in one of my yeah. shelves. Yeah, that's, that's a, a common go back to uh, book. Yeah, absolutely. It, exactly. It's one of those. It's one of those, you know, timeless books that no matter how old you are, no matter when you start reading it, it's a it's a great book to read to just start thinking of that mindset. And honestly, I, I didn't read, I read a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a, a ton, but I didn't read self-help books. I yeah. read a lot of science fiction. Did you? So my head was, yeah, I was, I thought I was going to be a writer. Got you. Coming into school. I used to write uh, short stories, a lot of science fiction. And all my teachers were saying, Amekki, you were going to be a, a writer. Um, ended up being an electrical engineer. So gotcha. long story, but, but it wasn't until I, I, I you know, my twenties that I really started to read kind of personal development books and sometimes i look back and say man if i had had access to this book yes when i was 14 i'd be the next mark zuckerberg right there i mean we go. all we all we all tell ourselves those kind of stories but yeah i, w- I would say i would say rich dad poor dad yeah that's um, a powerful just a book. book yeah absolutely book. so when you said again student debt and and uh savings crisis i wanted to you know i knew you would but i definitely wanted to put some uh quantitative terms to that so i was looking at the american federation of teachers website last night and some of these numbers um, just really, uh, they're, they're, they're just, listen, let me let me read some of the numbers. Um, and again, American Federation of Teachers website. More than 45 million student loan borrowers owe student debt, a result of decades of disinvestment in public higher education that has shifted costs on the students and their families while leaving colleges and student, excuse me, colleges and universities underfunded. Collectively, student debt is over $1.5 trillion. And this debt surpasses all types of household debt other than mortgages. So all of the household debt is surpassed by student debt with the exception of mortgages. Unlike holders of other types of consumer debt who have experienced lower levels of delinquency and default since the Great Recession, student loan borrowers remain in distress. And I think I think you may have said this, Amika, and uh, Amika, in your video, this grows at two hundred and twenty six dollars per second. per second. So while we're talking, this is racking up $2,026 per second. Nearly one in four federal borrowers are in debt, um, excuse me, are in default or struggling to stay current on their loans. So 45 million people, there's 300 at last count, 330 million people in the U.S. So roughly uh, 10, 20, uh, 15% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And when you when you look at just the the working population, which is, you know, 160 million right. around that, phase, you're looking at one in four, closer to one in four. Folks. Yeah. So talk about, man, when, when you are trying to get your hands around this uh, and People Joy's mission, help put in the context what People Joy brings to the table to try to help solve this mission. Yeah. So when we when we first launched People Joy, um, again, it was looking to provide solutions to help people. Uh, reduce their debt burden so that they could, again, I guess to get full context, um, the goal of People Joy is to help people pursue financial freedom. Uh, even the name People Joy, it's about the pursuit of happiness. Uh, when we came out with the name, we, um, 
you know, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, it says that every person is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, at that time, uh, you know, the, the, Brit the British were locking us up in debtors' prisons for not paying our debt. Student debt is the 2021 debtors' prison mm, for Americans mm. today. And so we cannot pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if we're shackled with debt, if mm -hmm. we're constantly being tethered to it. And so we set out to help people pursue financial freedom by removing the roadblocks to saving and investing and putting money away for retirement, right. which all these things, uh, student debt does all these things. Student debt impacts, I think, for the average student debt balance, I think of around $35,000 that folks are coming out of school with, it delays home ownership by a little over seven years. Wow. 70% of people who have student debt are either not maxing out their, their retirement, their 401ks or 403bs, or aren't investing for retirement altogether. They're waiting to address the student debt problem first. So when we looked at solving this, the first step was how do we reach people in a, in a, through a, a channel that they understand? And that they trust. And so we made the decision to work with employers, because if you think about it, the employer is the epicenter of most people's financial wellness. That's who manages your retirement through your 401k or 403b. That's who manages your health care insurance. That's mm -hmm. who manages your life insurance. You know, really, your employer is where you go to for all these things. And we partner with employers to offer a solution because they were also looking for tools that attract and retain talent. We know that uh, Seventy percent of people coming into the workforce out of undergrad have student debt. Not only that, we know that Gen X and and baby boomers have the most student debt. Right, right? they have even more right. student debt than you know, which is most people don't know that they assume that it's a Gen Z and a millennial problem. And so we knew that this is a problem that cuts across multiple generations. And if employers wanted to attract and retain talent, it would be in their best interest to to offer solutions like this. So one of the first services we offer were uh, solutions for employers to uh, help attract and retain talent through incentives that they could contribute to the employee student loans. Mm -hmm. So very similar to a 401k match. When we started offering this, um, you know, we faced some headwinds initially because it's a taxable benefit, okay. right? Um, at the time it was. And employers would come to us and say, well, look, I can give my employee a hundred dollars through the student loans, or I could just give them a hundred dollars in cash. Why don't I just give them cash and let them figure it out? Mm. And you know, our thought process was the exact same reason why you wouldn't just give them cash and say put it towards your retirement, right? Or put it towards healthcare. If if you know, you have to give people uh, systems and processes in place to help help to help solve their those pain points, and just assuming that the employee will figure it out on their own is not really being a good financial steward for that employee. Mm -hmm. And if you want your employees to be more productive, we know that financial stress is one of the biggest causes of, of lack of productivity in the workplace. Right. And so it also is in your best interest if you want them to work better so that they're not stressed about these things outside of the workforce. So we started with this, with this, um, this matching program, which over, which actually since last March, the, the federal government made tax exempt. Through, mm. through 2025. So now any employer that wants to make a contribution to their employee student loans can do so on a tax-exempt basis, meaning that you don't Excellent. have to pay the FICA tax and your employee doesn't have to pay state or, or federal taxes on it. So now it's actually more cost-effective yes. to give them money towards their student loan, which you don't have to pay taxes on, than to give them the money in cash, which you and 
which you do have to pay taxes on. Excellent. So that was the, that was the first solution we 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 launched with, and then we would work with employer employees, and they would ask us questions. Well, you know, we do a lot of work with nonprofits, you know, hospitals, uh, public schools. Uh, uh, private schools, et cetera. And they would say, well, I think I'm eligible for programs like public service loan forgiveness or teacher loan forgiveness, or I'm thinking about refinancing. And we would say, well, just call your servicer. Mm-hmm. Just, just, you know, that's not something we do. Our job is just, right. <laughs> we're, we're helping you pay this off. And then we realized that there was just a lot of misinformation out there. People weren't aware of their programs that they were eligible for and additional savings through various federal loan programs. And so we launched a tool um, called Debt Assist, where we essentially help borrowers navigate these different programs. One such program, Public Service Loan Forgiveness, is a program that will forgive your loans tax-free after 10 years if you work for a, a nonprofit, a 501c3 organization. That's most hospitals, schools, you know, think American Red Cross, municipalities, okay. your local governments. These are all nonprofit institutions. So a lot of people, believe it or not, work for nonprofits. Yes, yes. My, my, both my parents worked in government jobs their mm-hmm. whole lives. They, those are nonprofit institutions. Mm-hmm. And if you work at these, you're eligible for loan forgiveness up to 10 years. Unfortunately, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get these these uh, to, to essentially qualify for these federal rebate programs that most people aren't aware of. And that's led to a 99% rejection rate for right. these programs. So part of what we, another tool that we launched was to help essentially invert that. Let's get this to a 99% approval rate by working with you to essentially stay compliant, make sure that you're doing the annual certifications right, you're enrolled in the right program so that we're maximizing your loan for your loan forgiveness and lowering your monthly payments. So, so as, as we've, as we've listened to the borrower and, and work with different employer partners, we've learned more about our customer and our our value proposition and our products have evolved to really meet the needs of the of, of the customer. So what we're launching this year is really the next evolution, which is we're helping you get additional payments from your employer to lower your payments. We're helping you find federal rebate programs that either lower your payments or quality of forgiveness. Now the next evolution is let's talk about investing. Yeah. yeah. So what are we doing? Yeah. We're taking the savings that we find for you, right, through lower monthly payments or through your employer's contribution. And then we're working with you to invest those savings in index funds using dollar cost averaging. So very um dollar cost averaging is one of the most tried and true methods for any for building an investment vehicle. It's not you're not taking any risk. You're not picking individual stocks with right. index funds and you're, you're buying consistently. And then we're using, we're creating a vehicle whereby the the gains from these investments are, are, are being used to help you pay down your debt. So you're creating this vehicle where when you, over the course of time, you're going to be debt-free and have an investment vehicle. Mm-hmm. The reason why we're doing that is that we know that, again, back to the savings crisis, 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency expense. People aren't saving for retirement, but then there's also this group of folks who who aren't investing. They're not building their assets, sort of medium-term assets um, that they can use for liquid events like buying a home, right. buying a car, right. or things like that nature. And we're we're really working to help people build up their assets because at the end of the day, the only way to financial freedom is is wealth creation. Absolutely, right? Like that, that's really it. And so. How do you help people start those building blocks of wealth now while they have student debt versus waiting 
10, 15 years down the road to pick up after they pay their debt off. Because most people think that I have to either pay off debt and then invest. We're saying you can pay off debt and invest. You can do both at the same time. Let's just show you the the best way to do both. Absolutely. You know, what, you know, the, the first part I got totally right. Paying down your debt and, and the partnership with the employer to help do so. Right. Which is uh, which seems to me like a, a win, 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 because the employer gets to um, allocate some money that is clearly an employee benefit, uh, exactly. create a stronger bond and hopefully extend. You know, typically they see um, and I, I was in HR at one point in my life. You, you see the extension of employee um, goodwill and I mean, employer goodwill to employees, you see higher retention, right? And you save those costs, right? Replacement exactly. costs are ridiculous. Um, and, and you also get to your point, the now to, to non-taxable benefit, et cetera. Um, two, you now introduce yourselves as another integral partner in a relationship. And now you're helping counsel the employee. And I see a, a two, a two for there. One, the opportunity to pay down the debt, but two, also now having some, uh, with this DCA, investing, not only uh, saving for the longer term asset and wealth creation, but also a lot of times people don't have emergency savings at all, right? right. It's not there usually. So you're having some, some of both being built up. And then re- explain to me that second piece in between those two that you talked about a little bit. I think there was a so, second piece in there. As far as, so there's a piece where we're helping people qualify for federal rebate programs such as Loan public service loan forgiveness or teacher loan forgiveness. So these are additional programs where the government will forgive or cancel a portion of your federal loans. Now you have to apply. They don't just happen magically. There's certain things that you have to do. For example, for public service loan forgiveness, you have to work in a nonprofit. You have to certify your employment with that nonprofit Mm. every single year. You have to be in an income-driven repayment plan. You have to certify that income-driven repayment plan every single year, and you have to have the right loan type. Got it. And each of these have their own processes. Each of these may have different servicers that you're speaking with. And any wrong step can either extend, delay, or completely invalidate your your opportunity for loan forgiveness. Got it. So we have an assessment tool where if you work for one of these institutions, you come into our tool, uh, you answer a couple of questions, and we'll let you know right there on the spot if you're eligible for these uh, additional programs. And if, if so, we'll let you know how how many months you, you have accrued for it, what do you have remaining, the steps required to actually uh, enroll in those programs, and you can work with us to, to uh, essentially um, qualify for that. One of the things that we learned about these federal programs is that they also help retention. Mm-hmm. So we, we worked with one local nonprofit hospital uh, here in Philadelphia, um, and we just launched this tool again. We call it Edisys because they're a nonprofit, and we were typically finding savings of $150 or more a month in reduced payments, and we were seeing people being eligible for up to $55,000 of, of loan forgiveness on average. We did a, a study after a year comparing the voluntary turnover among PeopleJoy clients versus the general voluntary turnover of the hospital. And we found that the voluntary turnover rates among people joy clients was, was 41% lower. Mm. Mm. And the reason mm. why it was 41% lower is now you, you, you now know that you're eligible for a federal loan program right. that, that uh, has forgiveness of your loans. You know that you have to work at a nonprofit to get this forgiveness. And you now know how long you have to work right. at a nonprofit to get this forgiveness. So if I'm working at a nonprofit and I, I, I like where I'm at, 
and I'm being told I'm eligible for $100,000 of forgiveness, I just have to work here for five more years. Guess where I'm going to work for five more years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and you don't have to work at, at that particular nonprofit. You can work at any nonprofit and there's, you can, you know, they, they will, if you leave a nonprofit and come back, that's okay. You don't forfeit the prior um, time that you've worked. But all things considered, if somebody has a great work environment and you have these other incentives in place, it's going to help with retention. Yeah. That's, that's strong. That's strong. And, you know, a couple of messages I would, you know, con- convert this to for people listening just to, so you can hear it in your own, in your own way. Um, if you're a leader listening to this message, right, everything you heard was applicable, but I would add to this thing. I was reading an article the other day, I think it was fortune or, um, I'll try to uh, put this in the notes, uh, uh, for the, uh, the, the, the notes on the podcast. Uh, it said by 2025, more than 75% of all jobs will require an undergraduate degree. Full stop. More than 75%. Okay. Um, it then further went on to say by their analysis, the people who did this work, um, and I forget what university it came out of, but it was a respectable university, of course. Um, the underrepresented populations will be further disadvantaged, right? So if you're a leader, an advocate, it's an ally, et cetera, get your mind wrapped around we're going to have a compounded issue, right? And you're going to have more people with more student debt who need to figure this problem out. So here's another way you can think about getting in front of it now by inserting programs such as this, if you don't have one, um, part one, part two, um, if you have people with the debt now, right. Um, who have associates degrees and things like that, they're going to need to up the ante. So you need to help them dig out from what they already have right before they take on more. Uh, and then you have the next generation come in part three, if you've been worried about uh, the transient nature, I've heard some leaders talk about of millennials and whatnot, this could help solve some of that gap as well. Um, used to be, and I think some of this is, is, is true, the first employer who gets an employee sometimes has the best bite at the apple if they make it a workplace that person wants to stay at. That person has the best shot. But it's got to be a place they want to stay at. It's got to be a community they want to to stay at, Right. That's your best shot. So make it that place they want to stay at. So, uh, Amika, you hit on some some wonderful things here. If a person's listening right now says, man, I wonder if this is the right program for me. How do you describe the ideal client? Is there such a thing as, as ideal beyond having student debt? Um, so, no, great, great question. You know, I think it's an, an ideal client is really someone who's who's um, more interested and in, and. In, in, cares about their employees, which I think all, all, all employers do. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to, you know, determining if you have a budget for this. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we can clearly show the retentive power of programs like this. And, you know, most employers have already done a cost benefit analysis of what the cost of losing an employee in terms of just lost time and training and everything like that. Um, so really any employer, a lot of, again, folks think that, hey, this is what we've talked to some employers will say, well, my the average age of my population is 50. So nobody has student loans. And I always smile on that because I say, well, the average age on our platform is 40. Right. <laughs> Parents co-sign on their kids' student loans. They borrow for them. Um, nobody wants to be the parent that told their kid you can't go to college. Right. right? And so oftentimes we see grandparents and parents who, who've taken out debt. Um, 90% of the federal, of the private student loans taken out are, have co-signers. Mm-hmm. So, so this is again, a, a cross-generational issue and we'll, we'll send out surveys with employers and typically we'll see anything in the range of 25 to 30% yeah. of employees have student debt. So I'd say if you're 
if you're unsure, just, you know, you can contact us, take a small survey. You can send your, your own internal surveys to see um, what, what the, what the, the appetite might be among your employees. Um, I think what we're seeing is that employers are starting to realize that a benefits package, a one size fits all benefits packages just don't work anymore. Yeah. One size fits all means one size fits none. They just so many different generations and, and, you know, cultures and mm-hmm. so many things within an organization, you have to be okay with a benefit that may not cover everybody. Right. right? And, and that's okay. Like those are the, those are the fringe benefits that to your point, make the place really, really great to work. And people know that, Hey, my employer is, is thinking about things that um, I think about yes. outside of, you know, outside of work and being able to offer those benefits. And obviously again, the, the main thing is it has to be cost effective for you. Absolutely. And so the benefit of our program is some of the, the tools that we use, like our, our edit tool, which is a, an advisory tool for employees is, is free for the employer. You don't mm-hmm. have to pay anything. Right. right? Um, obviously employer matching contribution, you, you, you know, you have to, to, there's a cash component involved with that. But the first step I think is just, obviously if they're listening to you on this podcast and then they're already individuals and listeners who, who want to make a difference, who are looking for ways to, to really be leading edge contributors and, 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 and their businesses and, and respectively themselves. And so I think just, just having that conversation and being comfortable, just reaching out to to folks in your network or you know, reach out directly to us and just having a conversation to just learn more is the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so well said. And, and Amika, I think, you know, one of the points you, you mentioned too, on the average age, I think, you know, folks have to realize, you know, don't, please don't be age biased on this because people, you know, this is not right. about somebody going out of high school, going, who went back, who, who went in for their first undergrad, people going back to school or going to school rather, or all ages nowadays, right? The segmentation will surprise you. I sit on the board of a university and uh, people go back all the time to retool or who missed, who didn't go the first time because right out of high school, they started working and then decide, I want to go back and get it and uh, fulfill it and be the first person in my family or whatever the case may have been. So you you may be surprised the folks who are going to school right now who just didn't tell you uh, that they were going back to school, right? So uh, don't don't miss the opportunity to uh, be of benefit. Last question for you. People who are watching who are saying, great, everything you said makes sense. It would be a dream if my employer adopted a program like this, but they don't and they probably won't. What two or three things would you recommend to me that I can do for myself to reduce my student debt? How should I be thinking I, differently? Yes, so I think first first and foremost is to to, to set a goal for yourself uh, around how you want to manage your student debt and and what you want to, what your goals are sort of financially. And so there's no wrong answer, meaning that for some for some people it may be I want to pay off my debt as aggressively as possible. And so set set a target in mind, hey, I want to be debt free in five years, set a budget and focus on that. For others it might be I'm okay with managing my debt. I want to focus more on investing. Uh, in that case, you might be looking at extending your payment to lower your 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 debt payment, and then using those savings to invest in other vehicles. That's the approach that I took, right? Um, because I wanted to be debt free, but at the same time, um, I know that in order to really capture and build wealth, you have to start as soon as possible. Mm. Never too late, but the earlier the better. And so. You know, I I was creative in that trade off of keeping a budget and 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 you know staying below my means, but also you know tracking how much I'm putting towards that and how much I'm investing and making sure that the trade off 
worked. So I'll tell folks they can always, you know, we, we work with individuals as well. So we, we like to work through employers, but we work through individuals. So both individuals and employers, um, if they want to get a student loan assessment, can come to, can visit us, you know, peoplejoy.com and and come to our site and get an assessment. I also say um, really, really start to understand, like, like just, just have a basic understanding of compounding interest, um, investments, and, and dollar cost averaging. These are terms that I know I threw out earlier, but dollar cost averaging simply means rather than if you want to buy a thousand dollars worth of stock don't try to time the market don't say hey i'm trying to jump into GameStop right now and i'm going to put the whole thousand bucks in instead you know divide it over a period of 12 months so what's that maybe 84 dollars or something like that and every month buy 84 dollars some months you're gonna buy less shares of the stock because the stock price has gone up some months you're gonna buy more because the stock has gone down but you're only buying that 84 dollars so you're not trying to time the market and that's to me is um the best approach, the most, the, the safest approach to investing in the stock market is dollar cost averaging. So, learn those strategies, um, and, and and really try to build up, you know, a good understanding of finance. I know some folks are more comfortable with a financial advisor. I think even if you work at a financial advisor, you should still know what they're talking to you mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. You should still, you, you have to be smart because you know you you want to be able to ask the right questions and and be be knowledgeable. You know, this was something that I wanted to do. So I just went and worked on Wall Street because I was, that's how much I wanted to learn about investing in finance. But you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to work on Wall Street. Um, You can talk to a friend, you know, look for folks within your network. Everybody has somebody who's the person who's investing or, you know, or, 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 and things like that. Just find that person and spend some time with them to really educate yourself because it's, 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 I just, it's not enough to just work right. and just think that because I work and I'm good at my job, life will take care of itself for me. Like it, that's not how it works. And, and, and I just saw that firsthand growing up, right. I saw my parents, you know, working and, and, you know, not, not having the, the opportunity or the means to, to make these investments and, and, um, you know, not saying that, that, you know, they're struggling now, but I just, I, I, I saw what the, what that looked like. And I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I, that I didn't have to go through that. Yeah, no, that's so good. You know, two, two things you sit in there. I just want to highlight before we wrap is, um, the dollar cost averaging piece, deciding the amount and sticking to the amount and being consistent is so key as opposed to looking for these quote unquote opportunities in the moment, right? Yes. Cause you're going to make a, yes. you're going to make this big come up, you know, don't do that. <laughs> um, it, it sticking, sticking, stay inconsistent is the way to go. And then to yeah. the, the trade-offs, right? Making the trade-offs, right? If you decide the goal and say, look, uh, I got 10000 I want to pay off. I want to pay off an extra $100 a month. And then if you itemize your budget and say, look, um, if the cable bill is 150 and you say, man, I'm going to cut the cord and we're going to do YouTube TV for thirty nine ninety nine, right? And you go, oh, my God, I can't live without cable. You, you will find if you want it bad enough, you'll live without cable. If you look at your whatever, you, you pick what it is, movies, uh, uh, how many times you eat out. Like if you itemize your bill, like if you use right. Mint, Mint.com or something, download all your transactions and whatnot and go line by line and categorize them. And you start picking a few categories and go, I'm going to slash here, here and here right. to fund this hundred dollars to pay this down. Right. So over 50 months, I pay that hundred dollars to pay down this 
this 5,000 or whatever, you will, that, that's how you get there. You have to be systematic yeah. to hit that goal. You have to find where I had, I had someone used to always say it's easier to save than it is to earn extra. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that's right. the way to approach it. When he says trade-offs, that's how I think about the trade-offs. Yeah. And you're right. And the, the beautiful thing about today is that there's so many tools out there that will auto invest for you and sweep things where you can just sort of set and forget. Uh, back in the day, you had to sort of yes. keep the, write these things down and go to your bank account and, and yes. actually force yourself. You don't even have to do that anymore. You could just set and forget. Exactly. Um, I think Robinhood and, was a popular one until a few weeks. Until exactly. Weeks ago. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So Robinhood, Acorns, you name it. There's a, yeah. there's a ton of tools out there. So it's really it's really gotten easier to to save. And I think um, what I learned is just and, and it, I, I think. Um, James, it's, it's okay to, to look, if it's okay to, to put a little, if you want to, if you want to go and buy the next game, stop again, I'm not pumping. <laughs> I yeah. don't own any games, but it's okay to have a little fun, right? Like right. I think some people just get discouraged and think, and I don't want to change my lifestyle and eat ramen noodles for the next five years. I'm not saying that like you should have a little fun. So sure, you know, sure. if you're going to maybe, maybe if you're going to put $10,000, maybe you put 9,500 in index funds and dollar cost average. And then 500 is, is something that you're taking a little risk with. You're, you know, a stock I can live with that. that's a great way you, of saying you, it. You know, Absolutely. just a little bit. Enjoy it's a great yourself, way of right? saying it. Well, we're, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is don't put $10,000 into yes. stock bet because your buddy told you that, you know, this is going to take off because, you know, right. He knows somebody first in, inside the company, which is first of all, it's inside of trading, so don't ever, yeah. don't ever do that. But, but but just you know, be smart about it. And I think that um, you know, we're we're at a point now with you mentioned Robinhood, where investing used to be. I remember being at Merrill Lynch and investing was was thirty dollars a trade. Yeah. Literally every trade I made, I had to make, I had to pay thirty dollars in mm-hmm. commission gone. Right. Robinhood is now free. Right. right. And so this has now opened up investing to so many more people, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people I think are are you know they're they're riding the wave. The market's up like forty percent in the last eight months a lot of people just think hey i'm a good stock picker and it's right. like no you're just you're riding the wave right, right exactly and the wave will come down at some point and you need to be prepared for that and dollar cost averaging is what does that for you yeah exactly amika you dropped a lot of jewels i uh, i know the audience will appreciate it man thank you so much for being with us today thank you thank you for having me absolutely cooling solution audience as you know these are our thoughts but we always love to hear yours leave your messages comments wherever you're listening to the podcast as always if it's of value Make sure you click subscribe, share it with someone you know, love, and want to add value to their lives as well. See you next time.